Hello, friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and thanks again for joining us for these conversations about education transformed. What might we do together? What will it take? And what potential might, might we tap into in our efforts to really shift the experience for learners, educators, and communities across the globe? I'm very excited about our conversation today. We're speaking with two incredible thinkers uh, in the work that they do at the Learning Economy Foundation. Uh, John Goodwin, who is the executive chairman of the board of directors, and prior to joining LEF, he spent a decade working in the Lego ecosystem, first as an, an executive vice president, CFO of the Lego Group, and then later as the CEO of the Lego Foundation. We also have Chris Purifoy, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Learning Economy Foundation, and he is a, a digital architect, a serial entrepreneur, an author, and a futurist. It's wonderful to have you both on this podcast today, gentlemen. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. So the first question really is, um, just give us a sense of the mission and the scope of Learning Economy Foundation. You know, obviously it's about bringing quality skills and equal equal opportunity uh, by using open standards and Web3 technologies. But for people that haven't heard of the work you're doing, just give us a high level of, you know, what is the movement that you're both building at this point in time in, in our effort to transform education? I'll, I'll, I'll kick off, Chris, and then you because you give all the, the sexy tech stuff. So I'll start with the <laughs> like the high level conceptual approach. And it's interesting that we're called the Learning Economy Foundation. We're not a foundation in the context of the former organisation that I used to lead uh, that donates finance into different um, change activities. Mm. Effectively, what we're donating is technology that will enable the removal of inequities that exist within uh, employment and education. And we are firm believers that trickle-down technologies don't work. What they do is disproportionately advantage those that are already in advantaged positions. So whilst there's often a wonderful intentionality uh, when the tech gets developed around, oh, this is going to be fantastic. It's going to provide ways in which those that are underserved are going to be able to get access. You know, we, all of the rhetoric that was behind the MOOC movement. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just it doesn't manifest itself against those that are really disadvantaged uh, by the current system, unless, we believe, unless you're truly intentional about the design approach. And you really think through where are the deficiencies and how do we design the next iteration to start addressing those as opposed to putting out some new sexy technology into the existing infrastructure mm. and then assuming that it will find its way down to, to those that need it most. So yeah, that's, I think, a, a fairly unique approach that we are uh, adopting uh, and Chris and the team have very much come at it from the architectural uh, frameworks as a start point uh, before we then step into the application layer. But that's a point where I uh, throw it over to Chris to, to give uh, his uh, views on it. Wonderful, John. Yeah, Chris, what do you yeah, add? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think he's right. I mean, we, we've been around for several years, and I think what we do is we translate, you know, uh, really. And that's in many ways, right? We translate, you know, technologies, both from, 
you know, we spent the first few years building social infrastructure, right? Let's build communities, let's build movements, let's help to educate people on what the future can look like and how we can use some of these, you know, really radical new technologies to, you know, promote equity, mobility, you know, privacy, um, individual agency, things like this. Like, how can we really push the dial to make the world a better place? I mean, and not just domestically, but around the world, like, you know, education is, a, you know, it's, it's so fundamental to solving so many other really important challenges in the world. And so we, we find ourselves squarely in the space of trying to stand up a new space for us to, um, to educate everyone on earth. I mean, mm-hmm. like, so we like to envision a world where everyone has access to quality education and, uh, and agency, right. Access to opportunities. And, um, and so for us, we spent a long time, again, working in the social side of things. Like how do we build the communities around it? How do we lead the change, uh, in terms of thought leadership, but, you know, quickly we began to see that if we're really going to make the change, we have to get in there and kind of roll our sleeves up and do some of the work ourselves. And so, after kind of you know many years of arduous work in the standards, we're in the standards communities, kind of helping to develop really technical standards for how this could work, so we can do bottom-down and top-up approaches. Uh, you know, we started just really building the work ourselves. You know, building mm-hmm. the change ourselves, and and so so we find ourselves. You know, so we like to talk about the Internet of Education as kind of a a, a movement or an idea around how we could rethink the world where the learners at the center, right? Where the employees at the center, where, where, you know, sovereignty uh, as a learner becomes an incentive um, uh, to solve all the big challenges. And so, and so technologies to empower that, you know, there are many, you know, the internet of education is a multi-layered ecosystem, but, you know, for us, we really uh, are starting where I think, you know, it, it's like this, if, if you're going to build a new infrastructure, right, that doesn't come easy. You know, it's a new global infrastructure isn't something yeah. you don't just build an app. It's not a one-off type of thing. It requires multi-layers of, um, of, of technology and, you know, um, policy and, you know, thought and behavior change. And so, you know, when you, when you think holistically about that, you know, we think that digital wallets are kind of squarely at the start, you know. Uh, and we have had the um, the very, you know, we're very honored to have been able to support, you know, over 100 pilots in this work, right? Wow. So with all the greats in the world, and we've been able to see the kind of change that it can bring. Um, but we're really excited to be moving into a new stage, you know, a new horizon where, you know, we can bring this type of technology uh, to scale to, you know, into a production environment to really start to to do some incredible things and you know digital wallets are at the beginning because they allow learners to you know store and own their credentials you know um a friend of ours named dante yesterday at the global talent summit was speaking about the difference between web one web two and web three you know and in web one you know you could access information from anywhere on earth but you could only read it you know yeah. it was fine and in web two you can access the information you can read and you could write so all of a sudden everybody became a publisher and a creator and then Web3, which is really where we like to think about the future of education, you can read, you can write, and then you can own it, mm. right? And so the ownership aspect really becomes a way to solve really some of the big challenges, not only in education and employment, like, you know, the skills gap, the mobility gap, the equity gap, but also some of the big challenges with Web2, you know, yeah. the exploitation of information the uh, of, of individuals where users become 
the product, you know, like uh, this is really a way for us to inverse this and to give the data ownership back to the individual. And in doing so, the learner then can travel from, you know, cradle to gray, carrying their lifelong learning journey with them on their device, you know, so they can, you know, and in doing so, really that word equity becomes something that's not just nebulous. It's not this idea that educators like to talk about, you know, it becomes something real, like tangible. You can collect and earn skills and achievements and, you know, and your your experiences become real assets, right? That mm. we can build, you know, you get liquidity out of it. You know, I mean, this is like a home market. When you can quantify the value of a home, you can get liquidity out of it and, you know, equity out of it. You can build a market on top and, and I think that's the promise of a learning economy or a skill economy, right? Yeah. Where skills become real assets that um, individuals can carry with them. Chris, that's fantastic. Some of the the steps that, and the, I'd say almost the componentry that you're speaking to. I'd, I'd love us to go to the end of this of this road. You know, what is it if, let's say, in, during our conversation today, the child born in Nashville, uh, you know, they're, they're leaving what we now consider, you know, formal high school education in 2040. And so... If your efforts as the Learning Economy Foundation and the movement around it are successful, what kind of world, what kind of transition do they have as a 17, 18 year old stepping into the workplace? Uh, if that's even how we're framing things by 2040, mm-hmm. you know, take, take us into the kind of the, the long-term vision for this work. And then I'd love us to discuss some of the tangible steps that you're building to get us there. Yeah, well, uh, from my perspective, what we're looking to do is, um, Chris mentioned agency, but within within that as well, there's an ability to recognize that skill development occurs in a multitude of environments and that every learner is unique within that context. Mm-hmm. So we have the ability to build ourselves out through the way that we're naturally wired, as opposed to everyone being forced through the same pipe. Mm. Uh, And some fit really nicely in that pipe and as a consequence, disproportionately benefit out of it. But so many fall by the wayside and as a consequence of that process, get mentally sorted into a particular framing of what they can achieve in the world. Mm. So what we're looking to do is truly open up the learning lens so that an individual that learns really well in a digital environment can thrive as well as an individual that learns in a classroom environment versus those that also learn in a more naturally unstructured environment. Mm. It's not that all formal facilitation is bad. Mm. it's just that it, it's part of the toolbox as yeah. opposed to the tool. So what we have as a consequence of that is the ability to get everybody to have a real thirst for learning such that the concept of lifelong learning truly can be embraced by everybody, not just by those that really liked school. So therefore yes. they, lo- they love the whole concept of learning. Yeah. But all of us find the natural ways in which we develop. And as a consequence of that, realize that we have amazing untapped potential and that that can get captured through the digital wallet process 
in a way that we then have utility for the skills that we're able to develop mm -hmm. rather than already being predefined. This is what you have to learn by this date, by this method. Uh, and if you don't conform to that, then, well, yeah, you, you need to be sidelined into a different type of uh, trajectory. Mm. Yeah, we want to do away with all of that and create a uh, a truly egalitarian type of approach where everybody gets the opportunity to to participate uh, with the, the way in which they're wired. And I know Chris can build on this because he's he's like not a natural learner, so <laughs> comes very like from a from a, a position of passion. Absolutely, um, Chris. Before yeah, you, you know. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll, please, please go ahead. I was just going to ask, just going to weave some things that I want you to respond to in that. Cause John, that's so beautifully put. And I feel like even the way we talk about formal, non-formal and informal learning as if they're separate and we separate them, I think is partially yeah, the issue, crazy. right? Like the whole yeah, point is absolutely like, oh, we're learning in a formal structure. Now we're in an informal structure. And I mean, that, that kind of is the whole problem. And that's, that's kind of the opportunity I see when you speak to utility, which Chris, I'm sure you can build on. You know, is this idea that actually everything should be picked up in this web of experiences and capabilities, as opposed to somehow valuing some skill sets and devaluing others, which seems completely nonsensical if we're thinking about true human growth and, you know, human investment. Chris, what do you want to build on for this? 2040, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, like, he, I think everything John is saying and everything you're saying is exactly right. And, and you know, when I think about the future, you know, I like to think about it from, a, you know, as an individual, like you said, like as an individual learner who, who just, I, I love to learn. I'm always learning. Right. But, but when I grew up, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't as interested in those types of things. You know, I was creative. I like to build things and I like to use my hands. And, you know, so there was always a space for me where I uh, felt out of place. Right. I felt as though in some ways I didn't, I wasn't a good student. I didn't really belong. Uh, and, and so to that point of like threading all of those needles, formal, informal, you know, online versus in the classroom, you know, a game-based learning through play, you know, social and emotional learning versus STEM, like, you know, the truth is, is all of it is just learning, right? Mm -hmm. And I learn a lot also from my partner and I learn a lot from my family and I learn through daily activities. And, you know, what I want to see is I want to see a future where, you know, again, the digital wallet is step one. Let's let's find a way to credential for everything. Let's, let's find a way to collect and understand the lifelong learning process. Um, but what I want to be able to do in 2040, 2050 is I want every human on earth to also have a GPS, right? For their career, for their learning, for their life. And I want all of those to thread together in a really simple, beautiful way. That's really seamless. That understands me and my goals that I can tune. And then I can retune that helps me see like, Oh, you want to be a nurse? Great. You should learn ratios, right? You should, here's a local workshop you can go to. Here is, you know, a scholarship that you can go to the school. Here's some online learning you can do. Here's a video, you know, and, mm. and, and, you know, another thing that I want, you know, not only do I want people to be able to navigate and, and to be the drivers of their education. So education doesn't just happen to you, right? Like, uh, so you actually are empowered, you know, like when I graduated high school, I didn't know what I was capable of. And I went to college and I changed majors over and over. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And, and not yeah. only do I want them to be able to direct it, but I want them to have confidence that they have their own superpowers. They have their own skills. You know, there's this, you know, I hear people talk about like low skilled workers, you know, and it's like, man, what are you talking about? I, I work on a computer. They're out there like building things with their hands. Like that's not low skills. It's high skills. Like mm. I want people to be empowered and to feel confident about the types of things that they do, about the skills that they have, right? Mm -hmm. In a way that can actually 
you know, help them keep going, right? How many, mm-hmm. how many people quit before they reach their full potential just Absolutely. because they didn't believe that they could do it, right? Yeah. And what if this technology could be a feedback loop for them so they can understand the skills they're earning, understand the, you know, the longevity of those skills and where it could lead them. You know, and, and I also in 2040, I hope there's a day where people who are have all these skills that the world wouldn't like can actually come in and honestly put those in. Well, what were you doing? Well, I've been drug dealing or I've been doing this. Great. Well, you understand logistics. You understand. Mm. Come back into the system. You know, like I want people to be able to be empowered to 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 live straight up with the skills that they have in a way that is empowering and reaches their full potential and in a way that doesn't require them to spend a million dollars to do it or get lost in a system. You know, because the truth is, is you can have a Harvard level education online right now if you just knew where to look. But but we need to be able to create signals that this has value and that this matters. Um, and so, yeah, and I, you know, and if you want to fast forward even further, I also want people to get paid for learning, mm-hmm. right? I mean, let's, if you want to go all the way to 2040, 2050, you know, I mean, why are people not getting paid for their data labor? You know, I mean, like that data is needed. You know, I mean, like if you're a, if you're a human capital investor, like a government, you know, you need to know what's happening in this lifelong journey. And the problem is when a person leaves a school or a university or when a, um, a job, they disappear, you know, they vanish and you don't yeah. know what happened to them, you know? Yeah. And because of that, we can't track them. We can't understand, like, did they go on to do great things? Did they go on to earn skills and get jobs? And, but we also don't want to track them. That's a bad word because, because that's not good. Yeah. But what if instead we could have sovereignty in our data and our data could be shared anonymously in aggregate. And that data could be used to optimize everything. Like how do we create better outcomes for ninth graders in algebra, you know, in low income settings, here's how to do it. Look at the data and, and I should get paid for my data labor. And, you know, and if you're a refugee that finds yourself in a foreign land, you know, displaced, you should be able to get paid to learn local languages and to train, you know, for local jobs. And, you know, you should be empowered as soon as you arrive. And, and I believe mm. that's the future that's possible. Mm, and, and, and Luca, if you allow me just to build on one point Please. that Chris raised there, and that is the, the ability to have attribution of development. All the challenges that exist within formal education structures is the fact that we we find it really difficult to be able to determine who's effective and who's not, what's effective and what's not. Yes. Because the argument is always, well, there's so many other factors that are involved. You know, what's the socioeconomic background of the child? What happened when they left that particular learning institution? And, you know, there's a, a myriad mm. of other components. What we have the ability to do with uh, a digital wallet through the, the the nature of the data capture is we can provide connectivity between an individual's journey and what they went on to, to do and what happened earlier on in their life and their learning development. And then that can be aggregated amongst mm. others that have similar sort of learning uh, approaches. And to Chris's point in terms of the GPS, those that are interested in navigating to that point, they can look at in a really granular way, the experiences of others uh, and draw from that into their own learning journey. And it, it just will, I think, really unlock a lot of the challenges that we have in our formal education process at the moment. Mm. Oh, John, put so beautifully. I, this idea of like what works is always an incomplete question. It's what works where, when, for whom, under what conditions. 
And so this piece of really trying to understand at, with a higher level of fidelity some of those questions and the answers to them and then be able to use that to make more strategic investments. I mean, I think government's always trying to incentivize different skill sets, but of course there seems to be such a lag and the, it seems to be quite a difficult thing to incentivize financially, you know, particularly within the models we have. So my second to last question is when we talk about the skills required and John, I know with your work at Lego, you've got quite a large background in this in particular, you know, what kind of skills are, are the ones that we should be paying attention to? Because clearly we across the education ecosystem are seeing this shift away from kind of knowledge towards capabilities and the social and the emotional dimensions of learning, you know, collective problem solving, you know, critical thinking, you know, some of these aspects that are always seemingly at the top of the, the WEF and the Institute for the Future skill lists every year, you know? So when we talk about the skills required now, you know, as part of some of these kind of steps as we're trying to transform the education systems that we have, what would your response to be? What do you think those skill sets are in terms of what we should pay most attention to? What's most valuable is in another way, perhaps, of asking this question. Yeah, I mean, uh, my own personal view on this is that uh, we should start really from a foundational point of view and now enable the learner to then determine the knowledge application that they want to transfer that those foundational skills into. And that requires us to fundamentally shift our mindset around how we want to approach early learning. There's so much new. It's almost an acceleration into subject matter specialization. Yes. And through that, that, that acceleration, what we do is we block out the, uh, open-ended skill development learning in things like critical thinking and problem solving and, and collaboration and creativity. Yes, those formulate a part of the knowledge-based accumulation. However, we haven't nurtured our own abilities to understand how is it to move a five-year-old along the creativity scale. There's good work that's being done now in it, but we're still at a fledgling stage. Mm. That's why I'm so excited about the, the insertion of this technology because it changes the nature of how we measure uh, a particular learner because yeah. it can be so wide in terms of what gets captured into the wallet rather than a quantitative test that was done under examination conditions yeah. uh, in a, a certain point in time. Instead, it provides a continuum of learning and more of the sort of experiences that we all have in the workplace. You know, I often uh, make the comment that in my 40 years of employment, I've never once been assessed on the basis of a three-hour examination at the end of the year. Uh, and yet leading up to employment, that seemed to be the only basis <laughs> on which I was assessed. So yes, you know, we do have methodologies in which we can do peer-to-peer -peer review and 360 reviews. So applying that in, in different contexts and using the wallets, I think, would be uh, a great way in which we can unlock this skills focus earlier mm. on in, in people's learning journeys. And I, I often reflect with uh, the leaders and educators with whom I work that often, so often what, what we call resourcefulness, uh, <laughs> resourcefulness in the workplace, we call cheating. 
in our school systems. Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay. kind of a little absurd. Or, 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 we call, yeah. or collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Can we call it collaboration. Yeah, that's plagiarism. No, don't ask. Like, yes, well, plagiarism. <laughs> question, yeah, precisely. Um, I'm really just struck about this idea that learning really is our superpower. Like it's our superpower. And for some reason, this spark that we are all born with can just become so so dampened by the way we organize the learning process, i.e. this formal schooling. And, you know, this idea that for so many young people, they leave school with an idea, with a sense of what they're not good at, as opposed to what they're truly, you know, possible, what might be possible for them in their lives. And I think this is why your work at the Learning Economy Foundation, you know, that I continue to learn alongside sovereignty, agency. What's true agency? How do we actually do that? Well, we need an infrastructure layer, Chris, as you would often, you know, talk about. You can't just have the conversation. There needs to be a tangible substrate upon which we can develop the mobility and the sovereignty of data. What's your reflection here, Chris, around skills or around that, that kind of next steps that we need? Well, you know, I don't know. I, you know, there's this concept that, you know, you can even kind of hear a thread of it in this chat where there's sometimes it leans into this idea of like, we need to do away with the traditional system and we need a new system. And, and I understand the, the kind of idea, right? Because it always, you know, you look at it all and you come through the system and you're like, it's not working and everybody kind of feels it's not working. So maybe we need something new. Uh, and I do think we need something new, but, but I also want to just speak up for the teachers, right? And the, and the traditional system, they're trying. And, mm. and to be honest, it's not even the system's fault. You know, the system perpetuates the system that perpetuates the system. And, yes. and you know, the truth is we don't really need a new system. We just need reformation right? We just need new tools. We need new ways of doing things inside of the system, you know? Cause I mean, think about it. If, you know, if I was in, if I went to all the same schools that I went to and I went through public schools and, you know, I went to, you know, universities and such. And I know that my journey is a bit of a, you know, um, you know, a, a privileged one and everyone doesn't have the same journey, but regardless of whether you have a privileged journey or you find yourself, you know, uh, in the, in a situation where you don't have access, uh, you don't have the same type of equity as everyone else, you know, everyone regardless should have the same ability to understand the skills that they have, to find out what they are, to find pathways to learn and to grow those skills, whether it's in traditional and informal or non-traditional, it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, the fact that we can rise, right? Whether we have to do it by our own bootstraps or whether we get given to it on a silver platter, the fact that we can rise and that we can, um, can learn it, that really is a superpower. And, you know, for me, like, I want to know whenever I'm going through school and I complete a course, I want to know the skills that I earned. Right. And that's something that can be done. That's a reformation we can do to the traditional systems. Yeah. That kind of data exists out there. They just needs to be applied. It's innovation that we need, you know, procurement officers and we need provosts and we need, people who are running these districts to be like, let's do some new things. That's what we really need. We need someone to be excited about doing new things. And in doing so, you can know the skills along the way. Let's give the learners digital wallets so they can be empowered. Let's give the learners, you know, pathway tools so they can map their pathways. And, and let's, and let's do that, whether it's in a traditional system or a non-traditional system, or someone is just informally picking up, you know, going to a library and getting a computer. It shouldn't matter. The point is that everyone, should be able to, to access the skills they are. And, and the skills don't really matter what the skills are. What matters is that they're the skills that are 
or that you're passionate about. It's the skills mm -hmm. that you care about. And it's the skills that you can bring to the world because we need all sorts, right? Yes. There isn't one's better than the other. We don't just need a bunch of doctors. You know, we need poets and we need mountain climbers and we need, you know, we need people to do all sorts of interesting things. And, uh, and it shouldn't just be pathways towards learning. It should be pathways towards opportunities. You know, what if these tools could, could solve that a discrepancy we have of supply and demand of jobs, you know, like yeah. talent to jobs, you should be able to be going and you should be able to just arrive at the doorstep of the perfect job for you that you've been aiming at for a while. And they should know you're coming long before you get there. So they can be helping to aid in the process, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. It's, I just, I'm thinking about your, your point on systems, Chris, and I've, we've had some wonderful conversations on this podcast about how systems must become liber liberatory. How do they liberate learning as opposed to, you know, reinforce, I'd say pretty traditional ways of thinking about it, the values of knowledge. And so this, this idea that we need to humanize systems, not just for the learners, but for the adults that are doing the hard work, many of whom are listening to this, you know, the educators and the leaders that I think is something that's very compelling for everybody. Uh, and it needs to, in my, in my view, like rehumanize, like bring back together, remember the human, all the different dimensions that make us who we are, you know, the social, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, alongside the cognitive. I feel like that's part of this journey towards transforming education. And it's not necessarily just invention, also remembering holistic indigenous worldviews have had these approaches for a long period of time. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really thinking about that in the way that you've spoken. And how does, this, how does a young person become the discipline? This is something that Michael Bunt speaks to, a colleague of mine. You know, so we talk about multidisciplinary, you know, transdisciplinary knowledge. But actually when you become the discipline, you're actually the holder of knowledge and your journey can be unique within that web, that beautiful web of skills and knowledge. Um, yeah, it's really powerful to consider that. Um, question for you, in the real world in which we live, what's the challenge? What's the biggest challenge for education systems, for schools, for university vocational to, you know, providers? that's kind of stopping us on, in, in this movement and the work that you're doing. What are you finding is, is kind of the, the glue that's holding, like stopping us from accelerating change as we need to do? Uh, education reform, you know, it's a wicked problem. It's, uh, it's really gnarly in its complexity mm. uh, because there's so many stakeholders involved. Um, Almost every participant in the system has an experience based that is established within the set system. Yes. So therefore, we're all coming at this from the basis of, well, you know, this was my experience. And uh, as a consequence of that, those that operate within the system often uh, have a default of reaffirming it and a real challenge of disrupting. Mm. So that's why I, I love Chris's approach of saying, listen, the, we need to operate within the system and enhance it mm. uh, and, uh, and appreciate those that are in it. So, yeah, we, need, we are trying to approach it from an ecosystem perspective. Yeah. Um, and truly listen to those who we believe are going to be affected, not only from the learner point of view, but also those that are that already participate in formal education structures as well. 
um, so that they can all also have a voice and participate in the change. Mm. So I think the, the, the biggest challenge for me is just the complexity of enabling education reform. And at the same time, to be frank, the urgency that's burning inside me as I look at some of the wider societal challenges that are emerging and the polarization that exists, uh, ever increasingly within, uh, cultures, uh, yeah, for me, we, we need to help people in their learning journey, uh, to get their value from the contributions that they can make into society and not see their contribution as one to take down those that disagree with them, but more, uh, to remain curious. Mm. And I think part of that is uh, a, a love of learning. Yeah. Beautiful, John. Chris, what's the, what's the challenge from your standpoint? You know, I mean, I, he's right. He, it's, it's legacy, you know, honestly, like education uh, is a, is a mass legacy system. It's been around a long time. It has uh, systems that, you know, people are used to a lot of people that are in it have been in it for their lifetimers, you know, and it's not just legacy systems of thought and individuals, but it's the system itself. It's legacy technologies. It's like, you know, education was an early adopter on technology. So they were really early and their systems are now really old because of it. And um, there's a lot of buy-in on what they've done and it's just tacking on and adding new things and tacking on and tacking on. And there's a real fear of this idea of like starting fresh. Mm-hmm. Starting fresh is a very scary idea, you know? So instead you add more to it and, and then this complexity emerges that he's talking about in so many ways. Um, and so legacy, you know, legacy is the threat, but I would also say that legacy is the opportunity, right? We can create a new legacy, right? Legacy used to be a good word, you know, like create a legacy, you know, like the legacy here could be that our generation, uh, we're the ones that can make a change, you know? Uh, and you know, generation isn't an age, it's a mindset, you know, and the mindset of this generation, you know, should be like, we can be the change, you know, this is, and, you know, we're here, we're ready for it. You know, the, um, things have changed. You know, people don't hold down jobs for 20 years like they used to. They like to bounce around. You know, the, people are nomadic. They're interested in kind of exploring and learning new things and being a part of the change. You know, mm. a lot of people like to talk bad about millennials or something because they're lazy, but that's false. It's because you're not giving them purpose. Because if you give a millennial purpose or give a, a zillennial purpose, they will work harder than anyone else. And they'll do it for nothing because... They just want to be empowered. They just want to feel like they're a part of something that matters. And, and I think that we can make people, we can make people feel like they're a part of something that matters right from the beginning, just by understanding who they are and what skills they have and how that fits into the continuity of their life. And all of a sudden, like their life becomes a purpose. You know, what if our purpose was to learn and to grow and you understood where you could go and, I just think, I think everyone will surprise us. And, and so I, I think that the systems that exist today and those people that are there, it's, it's, it's hard to make change, but you know, the call to action here is like make a new legacy, right? Mm. Give them digital wallets, let them own that, help them understand what their skills are, you know, embrace new technologies, but not as a silver bullet, but as an aid towards being a better teacher, you know, towards being able to really empower them in a way that isn't just pushing them through one course to the next so that they keep arriving in a new vacuum, not knowing who they are. Like, what if there was a continuum to that? What if there was a continuity to that? So every teacher benefits from the past teacher and every employer benefits from the past employer. And, you know, you're upskilling and that upskilling at one job helps you with another. And everybody understands that this is a learning ecosystem, you know? Mm. 
So yeah, you know, give them digital wallets, build a new legacy. That's what I say. <laughs> That's fantastic, Chris. I'm just really powerful, really powerful to reflect on that. John, your point as well about the urgency. I think that's something that I came through really clearly at the Transforming Education Summit in New York that all three of us were at. Is this, you know, we are in this crisis moment for education. And it's not just about equity and inclusion, it's quality and relevance as well. Mm. Um, and I think, Chris, your point, yeah, millennials and, and this is millennials, you know, they're hyper-engaged. They're not disengaged, they're hyper-engaged. But the thing is they will choose only what is going to feels purposeful feels meaningful. And a kind of crisis of meaning, I think is another interesting thread here. Um, my final question, and Chris, you've really kind of come to this anyways, you know, the great thing about podcasting is you are speaking directly to an audience and in this audience are largely educators and leaders, innovators, some entrepreneurs, some parents. What's the invitation that you would let them in? And Chris, I think you've brought this beautifully in terms of, you know, we need a new legacy. You know, how do we, how do we kind of shift who we are and focus on who we are and what we can do and then what we know? But what's, what's the invitation that you would say directly to the people listening today? Well, it's what I said already. You know, I mean, I, I think that the beginning of this, of this great change towards this great future and this new legacy, it starts with digital wallets. So that's step one. You know, I give every learner digital wallets. So they can start collecting their skills like assets, their achievements like access. So they can start to understand what those mean and what they mean for themselves and for the future. So start there. And, you know, a, you know, shameless plug, we, you know, if you go to www.learncard.com, uh, you know, we do have a digital wallet that's all free. It's open source. You know, it's, you know, we're not, I'm not trying to push a product here. I'm trying to push a movement, you know, mm. come and get it. You know, if you're a, if you're a um, educator or you're a part of a system or, you know, go there, find it, use it. You know, if, I mean, we're happy to help you if you need some help, but otherwise just, just, you know, do that. And that's, that's step one, right. And, uh, and making that change. Love it. Thanks, Chris. John, what about you? What's the invitation to uh, people listening today? Yeah. The invitation from me is to, um, take back ourselves, take back our own learning journeys. So as we go into this next iteration of technology i would encourage everybody on the on the podcast listening to the podcast to really be attentive to who is it that's extracting mm. out of the the next iteration yeah are we truly putting the the majority at the center of the ownership or are we unfortunately on a next iteration of value abstraction by the very privileged few to the detriment of the majority. Uh, so yeah, everybody on this, listening into this podcast, yeah, we're all going to have choices in the immediate future around what are the things that we support? What are those things that we really drive to Chris's point? What is the movement that we get behind? Uh, I don't encourage everybody to get behind the movement of, that really puts the learner at the center, gives them equity, mobility, sovereignty, and through that process recaptures the value for the individual. Fantastic, John. Well, thank you to you both, Chris Purifoy, John Goodwin, uh, for sharing your thoughts and for the work, really being a, a significant part of being nodes of this, this network, this learning ecosystem, building this movement. 
Dear colleagues and friends, if, if you want to learn more about this wonderful work, please check out learningeconomy.io and Chris also referenced learncard.com, which is a wonderful digital wallet that's been created by some, you know, some excellent support from lots, a whole range of partners, including the Lego Foundation. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this conversation about transforming education and look forward to hearing from you again soon.